You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Right, so this is our very final talk on emotions, and we had lots of emotions cards from last week to use up, so they're spread around your chairs, just in case you want to make any notes tonight. Not sure that you will, but just in case that you do. And we're going to be looking at something that has been touched upon in previous talks, but we want to give particular attention to tonight, and that is the area of our mind how our beliefs can affect our emotions, but also how our minds can be renewed and transformed with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, we've spent a lot of time looking at emotions and how they can affect us, and Sarah spoke absolutely brilliantly last week on how we can um, begin to deal with these, particularly the negative one, and I would really recommend you catch up on that if you missed it, as well as John's talks and Josh's talks, all being brilliant. And we've learned that emotions are complex things, aren't they? Sometimes arising from trauma in the present, or sometimes from way back in the past. Sometimes for reasons that we're conscious of, and other times not. As well as the fact that there can be medical problems resulting from chemical imbalances in the brain. So we don't want to simplify this at all. We've talked about how God created us as emotional beings and therefore understands our emotions and us much better than we understand ourselves, in fact. And we've seen how the Psalms are full of expressions of all kinds of emotions in good times and bad. However, have you ever wondered, as I have, about the long periods of time in between when we might not be under any particular pressure? Life might be going quite well, actually. And yet it can still feel like we're just settling for a lack of emotional crisis rather than experiencing the abundant life that Jesus spoke to of of us in John 10.10. Those times when we might feel surprised that despite there not being anything obviously wrong, we don't feel a bit better than we do. Everything may seem to be okay, yet if we're honest, we still feel mildly depressed lacking in joy, or feel like we're experiencing more negative emotions than positive ones. Over the years, I've come to believe that this is because whether we're going through tough times or good times, or just the everyday and the mundane, our emotions are often fueled and influenced by our belief systems rather than by our circumstances. So what do I mean here when I use the word belief and belief systems? Our definition of belief here is something that we have put trust, faith, or confidence in as being true. And definition of belief system, a set of beliefs or principles by which we interpret our everyday reality. Now, I know we're aware that we live in a culture that is obsessed with feelings. There are thousands of books written on emotional health, some of them very good, and we've recommended those in previous weeks. However, unless we recognise that many of our emotions are fuelled by our beliefs, we'll spend a lot of time thinking about the symptoms and working on those, rather than identifying what can often be the cause, that is, the belief systems that these emotions are rooted in. Now, this isn't a talk about enforced positive thinking or about denying or suppressing negative emotions. We've mentioned lots of times in the past few weeks that this kind of toxic positivity doesn't work and is, in fact, harmful. 
However, identifying underlying belief systems also isn't perhaps something that you should delve into in the middle of a crisis. We've talked about that as well. Rather, it's about recognising that there are belief systems, some that we're conscious of, others that are buried deep in our sub or even non-conscious that can affect our emotions either positively or negatively on a day-to-day basis, whether we're in crisis or not. So we're going to have a look at some examples of how our beliefs can shape our emotions, including personal stories from my own journey with this. We're also going to think about the hope and the transformation to our beliefs and therefore our emotions that Jesus, who is the truth, can bring as we follow him, led by the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth and freedom. So the first thing I want to say tonight is that we judge our outer world by the beliefs in our inner world. How many of you here tonight have already been asked or have asked somebody, how are you today? I'm guessing that most of you will have done. It's probably one of the most frequently used conversation starters, and we usually answer that question based on how we're feeling in that particular moment, and not always truthfully, if we're very honest. I'm good, thanks, a bit tired, ready for a holiday maybe. We commonly ask ourselves and others how we are feeling when in fact a bigger and much less, much more rarely asked question is, what am I believing? Just take a moment to think, when was the last time you asked yourself, what am I believing? As I said earlier, we live in a culture that is very much feelings-led, where our emotions determine our actions. For example, take the belief that we can often hear in popular culture that if it makes you happy, it can't be wrong. Many people have made life-changing decisions based on beliefs like this, despite the fact that what makes them happy could have a devastating effect on those closest to them. The problem with this is the underlying assumption that our emotions are telling us the truth. But as Steve Backland, an American pastor, puts it, they often don't. He says this, our feelings don't validate truth, they validate what we believe to be true. This is one of the reasons that different people going through the same set of circumstances will have different emotions and come to different conclusions based on their belief and their belief system. There's a great example in the Bible of this. We haven't got time to read the whole passage tonight, so I'll summarise, but in Numbers 13 and 14, we read about how Moses sent out 12 spies from the wilderness to explore Canaan, the land which God had promised to give the Israelites. Ten of the 12 spies came back with this report. The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, giants. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. This report caused the entire Israelite community to weep aloud and grumble and totally catastrophize the situation, saying to Moses, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? 
As many of you will know, Egypt wasn't a pleasant place for the Israelites. But the report, based on fear-based beliefs, brought about such negative emotions that they decided they'd be better off going back to the place from which God has so miraculously brought them out. However, thankfully, two of the 12 spies, Joshua and Caleb, who had witnessed exactly the same set of circumstances as the 10 other spies, said this. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Joshua and Caleb had a totally different core belief that was based on faith and trust in God. The Lord is with us, and because because of this, we are well able to do this. Wrong or faulty beliefs and the emotions they produce can be like internal prisons, restricting us in our relationships, our self-esteem, and can even seek to prevent or delay us reaching the destinies God has for us. Although they finally made it, because God had promised it, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Wrong or faulty beliefs cloud our ability to see. If you believe there are giants in the land, which could in fact represent anything that we fear or that is bigger in our imagination than God, then you'll be looking out for proof of them. If you believe you're unworthy of love, for example, or that you're a failure, you'll be looking out for proof of these things. If we want to have different emotions in the long term, then we, like Joshua and Caleb, must have different beliefs. Beliefs that are based on the truth of God's word. It's not always easy to identify beliefs that aren't the truth. Sometimes we've carried them from being very small children, perhaps even that happened while you were being carried in the womb, or they're, and they're buried deep in our subconscious or our non-conscious. However, the good news is that as Christians, as apprentices of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit living inside us, who Jesus said in John 16:13 will guide us into all truth. He is the spirit of truth, but he's also the spirit who brings freedom and transformation. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this, Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, that's us, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I've experienced this a number of times in my life when the Holy Spirit has revealed to me deep-rooted beliefs that I've held in my life and he's revealed those in order to bring freedom and transformation. Sometimes I've carried those beliefs for many, many years without even realising it. Beliefs that haven't been from God and aren't true that have fueled my emotions and caused them to spill out in all kinds of unhealthy ways. 
got many stories I could share about this, but the one I've chosen for tonight is one, one of my earliest ones from early childhood. I just wanted to share a little bit of that story with you. So I grew up in a loving Christian family. I'm an only child of my parents. And together, we were part of a local Baptist church. Small, but really close-knit. Very supportive. Lots of aunties and uncles who weren't actually I auntie or uncle. I don't know if you guys have experienced similar. I will be forever grateful that I knew unconditional love and acceptance from my family, and I continue to do so today, which helped demonstrate and reveal God's unconditional love for me throughout my childhood. And I'm thankful that I've never had to struggle to believe that I'm worthy of love both from God and from others because of that beginning. I know it's different for so many others. However, life was far from easy for us as a family, especially in my early childhood, the first 12 years of my life. My dad suffers with what is now known as bipolar disorder, a mental health condition that causes extreme episodes of emotional highs and lows, which can last for several weeks and longer at times. And before dad was put on a medication when I was about 12, which really helped to regulate the chemical imbalances in his brain that caused the disorder, he could experience these episodes at least once or twice a year. And this had a massive effect on us, as we couldn't predict when the next episode would happen. And we spent much of the times in between living in dread of when it was going to happen next and looking out for those little signs that his personality was changing again. So because of my dad's frequent ill health, it also meant that it was very hard for him to hold down a job for any length of time. So our financial situation was very insecure too. And there were long periods when we had to manage with very, very little money coming in. The constant insecurity of not knowing how long Dad would be well for or would be able to keep his job for, as well as the trauma of the manic episodes themselves, obviously took its toll on all of us. And this was at a time when mental health wasn't talked about openly and certainly wasn't understood. In fact, I don't recall anyone other than my mum, including family, friends, church, my school teachers, ever asking me if I was okay, or even attempting to talk to me about dad's illness. That's not because they didn't care, it just wasn't talked about. There was definitely a hiddenness, and as we can see, right back in the Garden of Eden, hiddenness often represents shame. And there was definitely a shame attached. I definitely felt ashamed when my dad was going through these times. So despite the loving support of close family and friends, I remember feeling very alone. And I couldn't imagine anyone other than mum and I understanding what it was like. And so in an attempt to control my world as a child and a teenager, I did many things which would now describe as symptoms of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, before I even knew it existed. It was much later on, whilst I was watching a news report, that I realised that this was what I struggled with, that this was actually a thing. I thought I was the only one who did those things. For example, and there were many, but I'll just list a few, I had to have, at a very early age, my self-toys in a certain order on my bed, or else I wouldn't go to sleep. My bedroom door open at exactly the right angle, I would switch my lights on and off a certain number of times. 
I made my parents say the same prayer with me every night. Or later on as a teenager, I would read the same Bible passage every night before going to sleep. As well as seeing my dad go through all of this, what really, really affected me was seeing the emotional toll on my mum, who was obviously often in deep distress herself during these times. And I couldn't bear to see her upset or crying. I would often run away somewhere or hide in my bedroom to escape it. I remember making little dens in the bottom of my wardrobe just to hide. They were really tough times. But there were so many good times too. Obviously, I'm highlighting the tough tonight because it just brings out this part of the story. As I said, they were a loving family, did their very best. But underneath all of this, we had this circumstance of dad's illness going going on. So fast forward to two weeks before my 18th birthday, just before I was due to take my A-levels, and my mum suffers a minor brain hemorrhage. The morning after which, doctors discovered that she had a triple aneurysm, that's three vessels in her brain that could burst at any moment, and they had to operate immediately. They gave only a 5% chance of her coming through the operation, and said that if she did, she could have, and would probably have, significant brain damage. My mum thankfully defied the odds, she's still with us today, and survived the seven-hour operation, the longest seven hours of my life, and miraculously came through it with no brain damage at all. Lots of people had been praying. The operation happened to fall on a Sunday. We had at least three churches gave up their morning service and prayed for my mum. It was so moving. And we later learned too that her surgeon was a Christian and had been praying throughout the operation too. We were all in awe and wonder at what had happened and were filled with faith. However, shortly after she returned home, I noticed I was feeling incredibly guilty and I couldn't understand why. I also felt fearful every time I left my mum and I wanted to be with her all the time. I didn't want to go out, do anything else. I just wanted to stay with her. I remember even checking she was okay in the middle of the night. I tiptoed to mum and dad's bedroom door just to hear the sound of her breathing. My OCD was off the scale. All of the things I listed earlier and lots more. And the guilt and fear combined were becoming all-consuming And I couldn't understand why I was feeling this way. After all, I'd just witnessed what many people had described as a major miracle. Thankfully, I'd been a Christian for a while and I was going along to another church, Young People's Group, and I was able to share how I was feeling with a Christian couple who led that group. They'd only recently come to faith themselves, but really dramatically. And God was really moving in their lives, and they offered to pray with me. And as they prayed, the husband had a picture of me as a little girl, and he heard the words, be a good girl for your mum, Rachel, which he shared with me. And suddenly, it all clicked into place. Those times in life when you have a light bulb moment. I remembered that this was something often said to me as a young child, in a really well-intentioned way, by caring family and friends, especially when my dad was ill, just a passing comment. They knew how hard it was for my mum, so they would visit to offer support, and as they were leaving, they would say, be a good girl for your mum, Rachel. However, 
unbeknown to them and to me, it developed and rooted a belief system in me that in order for my mum to be okay, I had to be a good girl. Therefore, it stood to reason that when she hadn't been okay, in fact, she'd been so ill, she'd been so ill she nearly died, it must have been my fault. I hadn't been good enough. This explained why I felt responsible for watching over her day and night, fearful to leave her and feeling guilty because subconsciously I'd been blaming myself for everything that happened. I also realised that my OCD was linked to this belief system, thinking that if I did things a certain way, I could stop bad things happening. Fear often leads to control, and my OCD habits were ways of trying to control the uncontrollable. Without being conscious of it, I had grown up with the belief that I was responsible for my mum and that I could control the circumstances around me, either by being good or performing a set of actions. The good news was that the Holy Spirit had revealed this to me through this couple for a reason, to bring truth and freedom. And I saw a measure of healing and freedom the day I knew what had happened and my friends prayed for me just by becoming conscious of that belief system that so obviously wasn't true. Just like many things when they're brought to the light, it's like, that can't be right. However, it didn't just go away. Transformations often take time and beliefs are no exception to this rule. Romans 12 verse 2 speaks of this. We've used this in other talks I'm aware of as well, but it really illustrates this tonight too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. We, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, have to literally change our minds in order to see transformation. Such change doesn't happen by willpower. And as I've said before, it can take time. A great illustration of this that I recently heard in a talk was that of the metamorphosis of a caterpillar to a butterfly. The word transformed in Romans 12.2 actually comes from the same Greek word that we get metamorphosis from. A total transformation. It's not talking about a slight change. It's talking about one thing becoming something entirely different. Speaking of trying to change her mind and her beliefs in her own strengths, the speaker said this, I was just trying to become a better caterpillar. You can't become a butterfly just by trying harder. The only way we are going to become who he, meaning God, says, who, says we are is by believing we are who he says we are. We will be transformed into something so totally different that now we can fly. Anything that keeps us as caterpillars is a restriction. Another interesting caterpillar-related fact is that they make their cocoons from strands of silk that they produce from glands near their mouths. And they use their mouths to weave that silk into a cocoon. Now that could be a whole talk in itself. But suffice to say tonight that what comes out of our mouths matters. The Bible has a lot to say about making the right confession. 
And that includes speaking the truth about who God says we are. Dr. Caroline Leaf, a Christian neuroscientist, has spent many years of her career pioneering work on neuroplasticity. Now, neuroplasticity, by definition, means that the brain is malleable and adaptable. She speaks of how changes in thinking actually change the brain and can affect behavioural change. And she speaks at length on how scientific, scientific principles about the brain are supported by scripture and vice versa, such as the fact that our minds can be renewed just as we read in Romans 12. Again, I could go into great depth with this and we don't have the time tonight. If you want to, I would recommend any of her books. However, one of the helpful things she speaks of is how we build what she calls neural pathways in our brain based on our habits and behaviours. In simple terms, many of us have developed unhealthy neural pathways in our brain as well as healthy ones. We all have thoughts or events or circumstances that have happened to us that produce beliefs which then fuel emotions. And when we have recurring thoughts and emotions, we, spend, we tend to spend a lot of time thinking about these things. And the more we do this, the more deeply entrenched the neural pathway becomes. Left unchecked, we especially do this with negative thoughts and emotions, interestingly, as humans. How many of us find us find ourselves rehearsing or reliving a negative conversation or memory over and over again. It seems to take little effort to do this. And we have to be much more intentional in remembering to rehearse the positive too. Perhaps that's why giving thanks is such a common exhortation in the Bible. The best way to change unhealthy beliefs and their associated emotions is not by effort, by trying to get rid of them. We've spoke at length in previous weeks that just doesn't work and it's incredibly unhealthy but by building new ones based on the truth of God's word. We can develop new neural pathways by building new beliefs. And this takes time. We're talking about pathways here. And if you think of a literal pathway, we can't build a path in the forest by walking through it once, can we? It would feel incredibly hard at first to do as well. But if we walk it every day, a new pathway will be created that will become easier to walk through. To be fully honest with you this evening, when I'm going through tough seasons, I can be tempted to walk through that old, deeply entrenched neural pathway, feeling an unhealthy sense of responsibility for people and situations. And the temptation is to try and bring control. However, I've also spent much time building new ones as the Holy Spirit works in and through me, transforming me into the likeness of Christ. A key principle in life is the fact that what we feed, meaning what we give time and attention to, grows. And the temptation of mine when times are tough can be to overthink, rehearsing those things again, catastrophizing, thinking of worst case scenarios, but all of these things are like rehearsing and feeding the negative over and over again. And they really don't help at all. They're really unuseful, un, um, un, 
Not very good defence mechanisms that we use that don't work at all. Now, Caroline Leaf calls these toxic habits that prevent us from experiencing the peace of God and living the life of truth and freedom that Jesus wants for us. That's why he came. Josh shared in his great talk in Anxiety a couple of weeks back, Paul, who we've got to remember at this point is writing from a prison cell, shows us how to deal with such thoughts and habits in Philippians 4, concluding with this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things and the God of peace will be with you. In order to break the power of old habits, which really do die hard, we have, the, have to build and rehearse new ones with the help of the Holy Spirit. For example, I've made it my habit to spend more time rehearsing the positive rather than the negative and to think of best-case scenarios when I'm tempted to think of the worst. I practice gratitude regularly, meditating what I'm thankful for in my life, even the small things, especially the small things. Meditating regularly on the word and the promises of God helps me distinguish truth from lies, even when my feelings are saying the opposite, and to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. I love again what Steve Backland says about this. He says, we get saved because we believe in Jesus. We get freedom and see transformation because we believe like Jesus. I want to believe like Jesus. I think Josh shared this quote the other week. I'm not quite sure who said it, but a pastor once said, I don't want any thoughts in my head that aren't in his. Because Jesus doesn't just speak the truth. He is truth. So what does Jesus, the truth, think about you, think about me, think about each one of us? He says you are chosen. You are loved. You have worth. You're welcome, invited, accepted, forgiven, made righteous, set free. That he's for you, not against you. Your failure or success is not going to change his opinion of you. What or who will you believe tonight? Are there areas that the Holy Spirit is inviting you to allow him to begin this process of transformation? Coming into land, to sum up, I believe that we have to understand the difference between feeling and forming. We'll all face tough circumstances and troubles in this life. The Bible promises it. And many of these will hurt us or affect us in some way. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, good friends and the church family God has placed us in, we can be careful about what we let that pain turn into because of the deeper truth we have in Jesus. We can and we should feel our emotions but we don't have to wear them as identities because we aren't defined by them, but by the identity we have been given by Jesus. And the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come.
So tonight, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to rewrite the script of our minds. He's continuing to do that in my life, and I know he's wanting to do that in yours. And it may take time, but I believe that this is a journey that we can all start on by just submitting to him, to yielding to him. And the question is, how much will we allow him access? Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.